Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Tartar Project. Hey, it's me, Phil Toronto. I'm waving as if you can see me, but I'm your host. And we sit down this week with Annabelle, who is the founder of Breeze. Breeze is reimagining the food experience in your airport terminal. And as you would expect and guess hearing that, uh, she did face quite the disruption to her business uh, with the global pandemic and the decline in travel in general. Uh, We talk a lot about how she approached that, her personal growth during that time, and just everything that it took to get to the point of even launching. Uh, And that timing actually was pretty fortunate, not unfortunate, uh, as you might expect. Um, She really has some really good insights around silver linings, and I'm excited for you to hear what she has to share. So without further ado, here's the episode. Hey everybody, we're back. Another episode of the Tartar Project. This week, I have Annabelle of Breeze. Thank you so much for joining us, Annabelle. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. It's my pleasure. Uh, Annabelle is a friend and a very, very tenacious entrepreneur. Um, We're going to cover a different route probably with this episode just around a lot of what led up to building Breeze and just the path that you have taken post-pandemic because it's been a very weird two to three years of building, I would assume. Um, But before we get into all that, can you tell the listeners what Breeze is? So Breeze is an on-demand food service for airport travelers. So you can choose a selection of food, um, snacks, beverages, and choose your pickup time, and we'll be ready for you in a centralized pickup point within an airport terminal. As we all know, airport food sucks, not just the food, but the long lines and everything about it is inconvenient. So we're changing that and becoming the antithesis of the food experience at the airport. And I can tell you, it is a delight to use back when traveling was a thing. Um, I was a frequent customer in LAX and pretty much would only buy cold brew. Um, yeah, you would buy but, about six of them per, per shift, yeah. And it, they, they wouldn't be drunk all at the same time. It was me loading up in supplies. It saved me a trip to Erewhon. It was fantastic. But um, personally, I can tell you, it's a very slick experience to check out. Um, but we're going to take a bunch of steps back. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Montreal, so I'm Canadian. I fit every single Canadian stereotype. I say thank you too much, please hold doors open, all the things. Um, So yeah, I grew up in Montreal and then went to school in London, Ontario at a school called Richard Ivey School of Business. Um, Loved it. I was a huge school person. Um, And then, yeah, I moved to New York right after. What did you love about school? Um, probably I think the fact that I could control the outcome, to be honest, um, you know, if I studied hard, I would do well in school, um, that kind of thing. And then I guess the second you go out into the real world, it's like, you can't control anything. Um, but I, I really loved school, like the social aspect, the academics, um, I've always like loved learning and I'm very curious. So, um, it was a great fit for me. When you were in school, did you have any entrepreneurial endeavors or did that come up later in life, I would say, I guess I would say. I don't think I had many entrepreneurial endeavors. I was more so I would seek out every single opportunity that came my way. So whether it was a community service trip or leadership conferences or being captain on a sports team, um, I would definitely um, seek those out. But I wouldn't say I was quite entrepreneurial. Hmm. What did you do once you got to New York? 
So I moved to New York and I joined a tech startup called Echo. It was called Interlude before and now it's called Echo, um, but we did interactive video. So I joined as employee number eight and, you know, kind of did everything. I was a huge generalist uh, wearing multiple different hats. Um, and then I was there for five years where I led BD sales and partnerships. Oh, amazing. And I guess, would you say like just the relationship aspect of everything is what drew you to BD as opposed to anything else? And just getting to know people, connecting on a real level, and then also simultaneously working and selling through? Yeah, I think I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but because I got an opportunity to join a startup really early on, I could kind of test out like where my strengths lie and like what where I could be the best asset to the company. And I found my sweet spot in that side of things. Um, Because for sure, my biggest strength is like this, like, you know, relationship building people um, kind of role. Um, So that part really fit me. But I was able to test many different roles at Echo. Um, Super grateful for that because I could really understand like my true strengths. Amazing. And when when did you start ideating on Breeze itself? Because that came much before you launched. Yeah, um, I started ideating about Breeze probably in like, 2017 um i went on a trip to cabo and i remember just like feeling so bloated and disgusting because i've overdosed on almonds and i couldn't find anything else to eat and it was just you know one of those times um and um then honestly it kept happening like i would go on all this business trips for work and i would be in like bentonville arkansas on business trips and i could not find anything to eat and i have celiac disease so it was just like a massive pain point for me um So it just kept happening and happening, Um, but I had the idea for a very long time until I actually quit. Um, I I feel like I lacked a lot of courage um, to just go out there and start something, made made a lot of excuses for myself, like most notably like the visa, um, the working visa, I thought I was going to get deported. but after I then I started to talk a lot, a lot about it with people and they were like, oh, my God, you need to do this. Like it was something that resonated with so many people, especially kind of the tech community um, in New York. Oh, of course. It's it's truly a pain point because part of my packing mentality, you know, I'd break it down into systems was what is the snack hydration situation in the terminal? Because yeah. I would have my my preferred vendors, so to speak, because um, I was on the road a bunch before everything shut down. But absolutely a pain point and i was so excited when you launched um what what was there an impetus or something outside of talking to people and encouraging you to do this that finally pushed you over the edge to say yeah i'm, I'm gonna do this let's let's go at this um i think there were a couple things one is that i started to get very complacent in my job like i wasn't challenged i was just bored um and i could feel myself just getting way too comfortable. And it was a, not a great feeling, like lack of fulfillment. Um, and um, two, so I made like excuse after excuse. I'm like, my worst case scenario is I'm going to get deported. I'm living back home with my parents. Like it's all the life that I built in New York is like just going to fall through. Um, and then someone said to me, they were like, well, what if your worst case scenario was that you just stay at your job and you turn complacent and you're comfortable and you, you know, your confidence just decreases tremendously. What if that's your worst case scenario and your best case scenario is actually taking the plunge and seeing where life takes you. And I think like that was really helpful for me um, to reframe it. Um, 
and understand that like growth will happen when I take this plunge. And even if it's, you know, really challenging, like I'm going to figure it out. Um, and I'm also really lucky that I have a tremendous uh, support system. And Aaron, my now husband, is a serial entrepreneur. And, uh, you know, he was, you know, really helpful in like getting me to like take the they to plunge. And then also like at Echo, you know, I, I was there from the beginning. So I saw a million different business model shifts, iterations, hiring, firing, layoffs, like, you know, finding product market fit, like all sorts of things that, you know, really helped me have this um, foundation for what starting my company would look like. And I, that's a great segue. What, what did starting your company look like in the very early days? Because it evolved so much from ideation to actual launch. There were so many bumps. You probably covered all of the stressful pain points of building a startup in a, in a very short amount of time. Um, so what, what was the first ideation look like for you? So um, I didn't really know how to start a company. I had no idea what I was doing, especially not a tech company. Uh, all I knew is I had to raise money for this. Um, I had a great idea and I had to raise money because that's what people said. I, I didn't know, like, you know, maybe I should have a proof of concept or, or anything like that. Um, so I put together a deck, which is like what I knew how to do. Um, and it was super catchy. I still remember to this day. And I'm sure actually you probably have seen it. It was like, you know, airport food sucks. And then it was like <laughs> of like, you know, annoyed travelers and like how much sodium they put in your stuff. And like, just like kind of like really painting a picture that would really resonate with um, this like tech um, person or tech investor. Um, so I started there. Um and then my fundraising process was actually, I won't say easy, but it happened really quickly. Like I put this deck together um, and we basically raised, I think, 1.5 million on a PowerPoint slide that said airport food sucks. Like, and we had no airport, no team, no food, no nothing. Um, and so while that was amazing, one of the hard parts about that is that, okay, I have this money and like now, like, what do I do? Like, I don't know how to, how, I don't know how to get into an airport. And so I think the main challenge um, after raising the money was this like imposter syndrome. It's like, oh my God, you stole everyone's money. Like you have no idea what you're doing. Like give it back, like just get out of this. Um, I think that was like the biggest thing that I had to overcome because getting into an airport, I mean, if I knew what I knew now, like I don't think I would have done it. Definitely. Um, it's, it's, it's just complicated, too complicated, too bureaucratic. Um, and there's very strict ways of doing things like you do an RFP and you have to put it out to the public, share everyone your idea. And then if someone wants to bid against you, they can come in and there's a lot of like politics involved. Um, and I don't know if you, you're familiar with like Sarah Blakely's approach. You know, she knew nothing about like the clothing industry and she was like, I'm going to start Spanx. Like, who cares? And she did things like very differently because she didn't know the normal way of doing things or the traditional way of doing things like going to the trade shows and whatnot. So she's always been someone I, I admire. So I kind of like took that approach and I was like, okay, I'm not going to get in an airport by doing like this hundred thousands of dollar RFPs. I'm going to get into an airport by making the right relationships. And that's something that, you know, I, I can do well. So ultimately, like that's how we ended up by launching at LAX was, um, you know, finding key people in the airport industry that believed in me. Um, but, you know, there were, it, that took a, a year. Like there were a lot of like uh, lows, um, Oh yeah. Way. And a lot of um, naysayers in the airport space telling me I had a shitty idea and they have amazing food already and this is never going to work. Um, a lot of stuff like that. that. That makes a ton of sense. One thing I want to jump back to is you bringing up imposter syndrome. That obviously 
it's impossible to fully eliminate from your psyche just fully because that's so difficult. Do you have any tips on how you did combat that and how you did push forward? Because it can be crippling um, in the moment and it's really hard just for anybody that's trying to build their own company. Yeah, I think it ultimately comes down to like, first of all, that's not true. Like you have an idea and you can you can do this. Like it's kind of like that inner voice in your head, just like talking back to it. It's like, no, 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 like I can do this. Like people believed in me to do this. Like clearly that people, I raised money on this PowerPoint slide with nothing. It meant that, yes, people liked the idea, but it meant that people like really believe in me. Like I'm a solo founder. So um, that part, you know, I had that on my side. Like people wanted me to be able to do this. And ultimately, like I know myself, like I'm not, I would never give back the money. Like I would feel so stupid um, and stop and quit. Like I was going to prove this out. Um, so I think, yeah, it ultimately just comes down to like this, like, um, exercising your resilience muscle and like not letting that like voice, the inner critic voice get to you. Totally. I, I think that's super key. Um, and so hard to overcome. Yeah. Um, especially when you have people that are staples in the industry telling you exactly what they were telling you. Um, with you tapping on your ability to build relationships from echo, like the biz dev role and everything, and just your overall approach to life. How did you identify the people that you did need to talk to in a just foreign industry for you um, to get the doors open because even though it did take a year, that's still pretty quick. And if you look around an airport terminal, it's a lot of the same brands and there isn't a ton of innovation happening. So the fact that something new is popping up, that to me is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on because it's just such a big accomplishment to get through all of that fucking shit and bureaucracy and it's insane. Um, so long way to way to ask, how did you start identifying the right people to talk to? <laughs> Um, a lot of trial and error. I'll, I'll give you that. Um, I started with like reaching out on LinkedIn to, to a bunch of people. Um, and then, you know, I reached out to this one company that was like super into it, um, at the time. And we were going to launch at, um, San Jose airport SJC. And I was like telling my investors, I got into SJC, whatever. Ultimately like that didn't end up by working. And, and then they had no airport again. Um, this is like March of uh, 2019. And so I had raised money in like November. Um, and uh, so I, I hit a like a super low point where I thought I had to build a tech company in San Francisco because all my investors lived in SF. So I was like, okay, like I'll move there and I can find the right people and whatever. So I moved to SF. I signed a one-year lease and um, I lasted one month. I hated that place so much. Like it was just not for me. I got mugged on the first day. There was no diversity of people, of thoughts, of like, I just hated SF. So I was, you know, crying every night. Like Aaron was like in New York. Like I was just miserable there. Um, and, uh, there was an airport conference in Vegas. Uh, so I was like, you know, I'm going to go to this airport conference. I'm going to stand out. I'm going to meet the right people. I wore this yellow blazer. Like I'll, I will never forget just so that I could like stand out. And you need to understand that the airport industry, like everyone is male, like named like Scott, Rob, Chris, and Mike, like all of them, wow, yeah. all male. like it just, they're all just the same. Um, so when they see like some girl, like wearing a yellow blazer and like coming to this thing, it was like very um, weird for them to say the least. Um, and at that conference, um, there were a lot of people who totally bashed my idea, like when I would share it. And I still remember crying in one of the bathrooms there because it was just so bad. Um, and then I remember the next day, 
um, I met these two people who just really believed in me and believed in the idea and were younger and and felt like there was a need for this. Um, and then following that, I also met someone else um, who, because the terminal at LAX is a Westfield terminal. Um, so I met, I guess, now the CEO of, of, of Westfield, and he also helped, um, you know, bring my idea to life with me. Um, so there were definitely key people who believed in me, and I'm forever grateful for them for helping guide me through the airport side, because I would have never been able to, um, you know, break through without them. Totally. And I mean, it's so key to have the right members of the team. It's it's the most basic advice, but assembling your support system and your believers is so crucial. Um, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I don't know if you want to talk about it or not, but you did have some internal team issues that you had overcome as well simultaneously. Um, can you shed a little bit of color on, on that and how you approached um, that situation? Yeah. So I think when I first started Breeze, I raised all this money and then uh, my investors would say like, you need a co-founder. Like you don't really have experience. Like you need a co-founder. So in my head, it's like, I need a co-founder. And I like tied that to my self-worth. Um, so I found a co-founder in SF. Um, and this is after I'd raised the money and had the idea. Um, so already we weren't on like the same thing because we didn't like, start it together. Um, and then, you know, two months later, she decided that this like startup lifestyle was just not for her. Um, super kind of big blow for me, but okay, back on January, you started the new year, like, okay, I could do this. And then again, my investors were like, oh, I have a new co-founder for you. Like, you know, this is great. He fits all the check marks, you know, such great experience, blah, blah, blah. Um, we decide to work together. And then it's like two weeks later, he's like, you know what? Like, I don't think I'm the right person for this, blah, blah, blah. Um, and for me, obviously, a huge blow to my confidence. I felt like kind of ashamed. I felt ashamed to tell investors and whatnot. But both of those things were so important to have happened for me, for my growth, because I didn't feel like I could do this myself. Um, but I think the second time this happened, it was like the universe telling me, Annabelle, you're doing this yourself. And I needed to tell you again because you didn't listen to me the first time. Right. I'm so it was like another sign. And I was like, you know, I'm going to do this myself. And I think my my like advice for other people is that like, like, first of all, I didn't I wasn't able to to form my own opinion because I didn't know anything. So when people of like high credibility told me I needed a co-founder, I was like, oh, I need a co-founder. Right. But, you know, we we can do it ourselves. Like it's it's like you go with your gut and you follow your intuition. And um, if I could go back, I don't regret anything, but I, I would have just stated that I was looking for a COO, not a co-founder, because ultimately what I was looking for was someone who could complement my strengths. Like I am like the BD partnership sales, like relationships, marketing, like outward facing person, but he needed someone to handle the operations with me and making sure the food would get there and, and the recipes and the like, you know, ops, like the logistical stuff, like that's just not me. I know my strengths. So if I had just, you know, come out and said, I need a COO, I think, and yeah. if that person turned into a co-founder organically, fine. Um, but um, because I led with that, it also hurt my self-worth. Um, and I thought like I needed someone else. So after those two fiascos, I went out and searched for a COO and I had an amazing COO um, who, who helped me launch Breeze. It's amazing. I think one one key piece is just listening to yourself. And you touched on it earlier on in the conversation is just having that naive outlook on whatever you're tackling, if it's a big problem, is probably a benefit rather than 
uh, a hindrance of sorts, just because you know, you don't know how hard it is, and you probably wouldn't tackle it if you had everything in all the context that you do now with just how shitty it is to break through and try something new. Yeah. So I think that that's super important. Exactly. And can we talk about a key investor, or is that? Oh yeah, we can talk private? about. It. Cool. Because at was that post-launch that you secured Delta of all people? Yeah, that was um, a big pinch me moment. Um, probably I would say my biggest professional con- accomplishment. Um, but Delta, yes, Delta invested in December of 2019, right when we launched. So we launched on December 3rd, and I think their docs finalized um, in like the 10th or something. Um, and that was a relationship that I'd built over the last year and a bit. Um, and it was super exciting. It's amazing. And how how did you approach launch? Like how how did you gear up and how how were you planning on getting the word out? Because it is a super exciting thing to have something new in a terminal. I know I am driving that home like a broken record because it's it's a unique thing when you just are looking at the tenth Panda Express mm-hmm. um, and just feeling that bit of hopelessness. Um, what was your approach to launch? Um, what was my approach? I mean, it wasn't. <laughs> I don't know how like wholesome of an approach it was just because like launch got delayed and delayed and there were just so many issues. Like I couldn't plan anything at a certain point. It was like, it was pretty hard. And I was, um, we launched at LAX and I was living in New York. So it was a lot of like, you know, staying here. And I was just so resilient. I was like, I'm not leaving LA until we launch. And I was here for like three months and we were supposed to launch like so many times. And then, you know, there was another approval that didn't come and like the cart had to be fastened to the ground. And like, it's just so many things that kept coming up. Um, so I think when we launched, it was just like, we just wanted to launch and like, you know, have it see what would happen from there because a lot of it is like, I used to think we needed to do so much marketing outside the airport Um, And that's great when you have a global brand or a brand where you can just buy something online and when you get an ad for it. But with Breeze, it's like you need to be traveling. You need to be traveling out of LAX and you need to be flying Delta from Terminal 2. Right. So there were like so many factors that like doing all this marketing stuff, like it's cute and stuff for the awareness and buzz and to make the brand sexy. But at the end of the day, the only thing that's going to drive sales is things in the walls of the airport, just doing things with Delta employees, doing things with Clear, doing things like in the terminal, like getting a great brand ambassador to like bring people in. So those are kind of the things that we focus on um, for launch. And that makes sense. I think having the self-awareness to identify where your customer that you can actually grab and touch and just experience the brand and not having the ego around, well, we need this big ad campaign, even though it's going to reach 0.25% of who you can actually convert rather than in the moment. In the terminal, I thought the staff did a great job of not necessarily doing what people do in the mall, like the the Israeli uh, salt salespeople, so to speak, in a Westfield. Um, but just like, hey, are, are you hungry? This is this is Breeze. Check out our menu, and just did a really good, friendly approach. Uh, so I thought that was a super smart way to just have people experience the brand. Yeah, exactly. And you launched. December 2019, Um, it was going pretty good for a couple months and everything. And then I guess the the world changed a little bit. Um, So how how did the early few weeks of the pandemic uh, and the dramatic change of the travel industry in general um, shift your outlook of the business and what you were doing? 
Yeah, so some may say it was bad timing and some may say it was poor timing, but we basically launched three months prior to the world shutting down with COVID. Um, I'm in the camp that it was great timing because I can't imagine having COVID come earlier and not even getting to launch and see it all come to life. So great timing. Um, but after three months, um, you know, we started to see travel decrease a lot, seeing everything, what was going on in the news, and ultimately made the decision to pause our operations overnight. We gave, you know, food away to our employees and just shut down the kitchen. Um, we thought it was going to be a couple of weeks, you know, never thought that this would turn into six months. Um, but as we started to see what was going on in the news, we started to realize this was not something that's going to go away anytime soon. Um, so that was something that was really hard for me, uh, probably more like emotionally. I went from like, go, 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 like constant, like fast paced lifestyle, like on a plane every other day, like just meetings after meetings to leaving New York and going to Stowe, Vermont to quarantine um, with like cows on the side of the street and like manure for sale and like no delivery. It's like, you have to cook every night. And I'm just like, oh my God, like what is happening? And, you know, Aaron, my, my husband is like so busy because he's in the food space and I'm just like twiddling my thumbs. I have nothing to do all day because my company is in the travel space and it's on pause. Um, but, you know, silver lining of that, I was really able to like go inwards um, and do a lot of work on myself and um, just like have time to just be. Um, I've always been like a doer and always like go, go, go. So it was really nice to have time to just like take a step back and like reflect and like what's important to me um, and all that. Um, and then so we were on pause for about six months. Um, and then I think it was like June time frame we were getting ready to go back to New York and then quickly realized that New York is just not where we wanted to be anymore. It's just such a small space and with COVID and, you know, working both of us from home and I'm trying to deal with something in LA, like it was just not working for us. So we drove across the country, um, put all of our stuff in storage uh, in New York and drove in a small car and just one bag each um, and moved to LA. And, and that reason was a lot for our lifestyle, but also just needed to, be in LA to bring Breeze out of the pandemic. Um, so we got to LA um, and while everyone was scared of like the airports and stuff, like we had to be in the airport every day. To no get matter what, yeah, it's yeah. the business. Yeah. 100%, we were so hands-on and it was scary and I didn't want to be there. And like, there were a lot of like emotions of that, um, you know, being so scared and fearful to get COVID like in the airport. Um, but ultimately like it needed our like hands-on um, help. So we relaunched in, um, I think it was like in uh, August, we relaunched in August. And I don't know if you remember, but our menu from pre-COVID was very niche. It was very much, um, you know, vegan, gluten-free, keto, like beautifully prepped meals, like just like very Irwan style, right? Yeah. Um, and then we launched with this post-COVID and, and we quickly realized that no one wants to eat healthy. No one. And the consumer that we were appealing to before with the business traveler is no longer there. So we needed to um, pivot and change our menu, change our business model to lower costs, but make sure this is much more efficient and be more inclusive to, to more and more people. So now we have things like turkey melts and bagel and cream cheese and uh, like just muffins and brownies like that is that's not why i started breeze of course right but <laughs> at all you can't even eat half that stuff in, in the form that you serve it yeah aaron has to taste test because i can't even eat this menu um but we needed to to survive and we had to evolve to survive and at the end of the day 
you know, we did what was best for the company. Um, and, you know, that shift has made a tremendous impact for us um, economically as well, because we're doing actually much better now than pre-COVID. Like our order volume is much, much greater because we can turn out these meals much faster. They don't take so much time to prepare. We're more efficient. Our ticket times are one to three minutes instead of, you know, seven to 12 minutes. Um, you know, our margins are higher. There, there's so many, you know, great silver linings that have come out of it. And, um, you know, Delta travelers are much happier with it too, because there's something for everyone. You know, the, the kids can have the grilled cheese and the mom can have a veggie jar, right? Um, versus before it was very, very niche. Um, so ultimately I think that we, or I know we made the right decision, but um, from like an emotional standpoint, um, this is very different from the, the reasons that I created Breeze in the first place. Um, so I think that is just something that's a little hard for me to like wrap my head around still. Um, but um, I'm really happy that the business is in a great place um, and I'm excited to, to see where, where we go next. Totally. And just to jump back, uh, because I know you mentioned like it was a very trying time personally, because I mean, business is on pause. There's really nothing you can do. And something that you said about school when I asked you if you liked it or not, was that you could control the outcome. And this very much was so out of your control that you just could not do anything but twiddle your thumbs, like you said. Um, how how did you mentally get okay? Or maybe you never even got okay with it, but how did you mentally just accept the lack of control? Because I feel like that that is a really helpful insight for entrepreneurs on the journey because you can be doing everything right. Like you overcame this archaic industry and got a space in the terminal and did this and got Delta as an investor, but you still can't stop a global pandemic. So there's a lack of control there. So how did you, how did you get okay with that is the, the long-winded way to ask. Very perceptive. Yeah, that was, um, I, I love to kind of be in control. So having no control over everything was definitely really challenging for me. I think ultimately, like there was nothing I could do about it. So it came down to just surrendering and just being like, listen, like I am, I feel so privileged. I have my health. I'm in um, this house in Vermont with my fiance. Like I, there's so much to be grateful for here. And if yes, my company's on pause, but I have food, I have shelter, um, I'm going to be okay. And then I took the time to go inwards. I started to build a meditation practice, started to read a lot of books. I signed up for a health and wellness course, and, and now I have my coaching certification. Um, so, you know, helping entrepreneurs now um, kind of unstuck themselves and, and get to a point where they can bring their dreams to, to life. Um, so I did a lot of like more like soul searching and uh, self-improvement things, and that really helped me. Um, get through that time and not be busy. Um, but I'm so grateful for that time because I, I never knew how to be alone before. I never knew how to just like be with myself. I needed to always be doing something. Um, and I think that's a skill that I will carry on for, for the rest of my life. It's a skill that we all need. Um, so I'm, I'm very grateful and privileged to have had that time just to myself. I think that's incredible. Yeah, it's so important. As as an only child, I, I definitely spent plenty of time by myself playing Monopoly by myself at some points, but is what it is. Um, what's uh, what's next for Breeze? Like, what's in the cards? So, what really excites me about Breeze is not, like our menu isn't exactly the most exciting to me anymore. But um, what really excites me about Breeze is you know when shit happens and you have to kind of rebuild an industry, the people who rebuild it differently and not just like replace what was existing like that's where innovation comes right um so you know 
when you look at food on board or when you look at, you know, things that have always been done like that and no one really likes. Like my, the biggest excitement for me is like, how do we change that? Like, how can we put the control and choice into the consumer's hand? You know, shoot them an email pre-flight, which we're doing now on a pilot with Delta, um, have them choose their food, let them know what they want. They can choose whatever they want. If they don't want to eat, that's great but putting it on them and then having the, that bag, the breeze bag or whatever it is available for them, like on the jet bridge, similar to duty-free. Um, so something like that is something that really excites me. I think it's going to take a lot of patience and a lot of time because things like this, like don't happen easy. Um, but I'm very grateful to um, be associated with someone like Delta, who's a very forward thinking airline um, and, you know, has innovated so much over COVID and has really shown tremendous leadership in the um, aviation space. Um, but for me, like the biggest excitement is um, redefining the industry and the way things, the way we always do things and, and changing it, um, removing from the status quo. So I'm not gonna try to like, just go to all these different airports and try to like launch all these different airports myself and deal with the crazy bureaucraticness of every single one. I'm gonna kind of try to find a more, uh, like a bigger mission and a bigger vision that I can bring to fruition. Amazing. I'm so excited for that. Yeah. Um, two things, and then I'm going to let you get back to your day. Um, one is, do you have a life motto or mantra that you've used or applied or even formulated in this time? It might have shifted uh, given all the personal growth um, that you can share. Yeah, so I think I have two. One on a, on a business side, and I'm going to read it off so I don't butcher it. Um, but the brick walls are there for a reason. The brick walls are not there to keep us out. The brick walls are there to give us a chance to prove how badly we want something. The brick walls are there to stop the people who don't want it badly enough. So that really resonates with me from like a breeze standpoint and like breaking down like so many barriers and then just ultimately getting um, to see what came out of that. Um, and if it was easy, everyone would do it. Totally. Uh, and then on the personal side, and it definitely did shift during COVID, but it's always about finding the silver lining. There's always going to be a silver lining, even if I don't see it right now, um, I'm going to find it. And like the, one of the biggest self um, silver linings for me, aside from, you know, having the time to just be and, and go inwards is, so now I'm a certified um, life health coach, um, which is very exciting for me. Um, and it's come in kind of full circle now because now I'm able to actually help, um, especially women who feel kind of stuck or complacent or know they need to make a change or a transition, but they're hindered by limiting beliefs or fear or whatever, fill in the blank, um, and being able to, to help them because Breeze, the journey to found Breeze and even now is the biggest, most rewarding uh, journey uh, for me. So much growth lay there, and I really want to, to be able to pay that forward. That's amazing. I love that. I love both models. Um, you definitely embody both of them, especially with the brick walls and breaking through them. Um, last thing is where can people find you or Breeze online? So Breeze is at Fly with Breeze um, on Instagram, Twitter, and all the social media things that I'm probably not on. Um, and me, my personal Instagram is a Lawe, so A-L-A-W-E-E-12. Um, and then you can also shoot me an email at Annabelle at flywithbreeze.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for doing this today, Annabelle. Thank you. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, mutual.
Thank you.